Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara, and welcome to the Bay. Local news to keep you rooted. Living on the streets is hard enough, but living on the streets during a rainstorm is an absolute nightmare. That's my main fear right now, is getting sick and getting knocked down. Because once that happens, it's so hard to get up again. Because you're already soaking wet. And it's very difficult to keep marching on, to keep going on with what you're trying to do that day, to just make it to the next day. In West Oakland, folks at the Wood Street encampment are barely hanging on. And it's not just the threat of rain hanging over those living there, but also the threat of one final eviction that threatens to separate the community living there. Today, how the folks at the Wood Street encampment are faring in the rain, and how extreme weather is making California's response to homelessness even more urgent. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. There was up to an estimated 300 people living along a swath of land that ran about the length of 15 city blocks. Erin Baldessari is a housing affordability reporter for KQED. This is one of Oakland's longest-running settlements of unhoused people. Now it's down to somewhere between 50 to 100 people, kind of depending on where you 
draw the boundaries, but it's primarily on city-owned land now, directly across from Raimondi Park in West Oakland. It's an area known as the Wood Street Commons. Within such a large settlement of unhoused people, there were a lot of different sort of sub-communities, and the Wood Street Commons has been one of those. It's kind of the heart of the community in many ways. It's sort of where Wood Street started. It's a lot of trailers and makeshift structures, like tiny homes. Some people live in cars or other vehicles, and a very small number of people live in tents. Folks are scheduled to be evicted later this month. The city says it needs that land to build 170 units of affordable housing. And it received nearly $5 million from the state last year to temporarily relocate folks to a new tiny cabin community that's just down the street. That cabin community is not done yet. It's supposed to be about 100 beds. But as of last week, there are only 20 beds there. So the city was planning to start moving people on January 9th, on Monday. Then residents filed for a temporary restraining order um, last Friday, which a judge did grant. So now those evictions are on hold. I was out there on Thursday just talking to folks about, you know, how they have been dealing with all this wet weather that we've been having. Folks are just tired. They're exhausted. They're not getting a lot of sleep. It's cold. It's wet. And for most people, there's not really any good way to get warm or to be dry. And so that just is so taxing on your body. So this sort of remaining plot of folks kind of hanging on at Wood Street are sort of facing this looming threat of another final eviction. But there are folks who are still there and who were there during these storms these past two weeks. And I'm curious, when the storms were forecast to hit the Bay Area, how did the city of Oakland prepare to help folks living on the streets, including those still at Wood Street. So in general, the city did expand an existing year-round shelter facility, basically doubling its capacity, and they opened another one, uh, adding about nearly 200 additional beds. Uh, It's important to bear in mind that at the last count, there were 3,300 people living outside in Oakland. They say they've been doing outreach to various encampments to let them know about these additional shelter options. One volunteer at Wood Street that a colleague of ours spoke to said that they had gotten some sandbags from the city, but other people say that they haven't gotten anything. I was actually out there on Monday of this week and city workers had come in to clear some of the refuse that was causing some some, uh, flooding in the area. I also saw residents cleaning out a storm drain themselves, um, even though the city has said that they, you know, wanted to go in there and do that. Um, Next door um, in the construction site, there's like two massive pools, like like stadium-sized pools full of water. Lydia Blumberg has lived there for at least five years. She lives in a trailer. She's lived in multiple locations around Wood Street. And she's also just really involved in the organizing work at Wood Street, trying to prevent the upcoming eviction. 
as soon as they get something good going, um, whatever municipality will come in, they'll steal all their infrastructure equipment and call it a deep cleaning and, um, and push people to the next block. Did Lydia tell you whether or not she accessed any of the resources that the tr city tried to provide people ahead of the storm, like the shelters, for example? We didn't talk about that specifically, so I'm not sure if she did try to access it. I know that, you know, for a lot of folks, just in general, oftentimes it can be hard to get to those shelters. You know, there's only two sort of drop-in sites throughout the city, so most people are going to need some kind of transportation to get there. A lot of folks don't want to leave their belongings unattended, especially in a big storm if they're worried about it getting blown away or other people coming in and, and taking their belongings. And then, you know, there's also a lot of rules at these kinds of shelters. If you go into, for example, the community cabins program and you're not allowed to bring anything in there except for like a small box full of stuff. You can't even bring in your own bedding or anything. Oftentimes you can't bring pets. You know, maybe the hours are, are restricted so you can only come during certain times. A lot of people who are unhoused have experienced some form of shelter at, at different points of their homelessness and have not had great experiences, whether they've been sexually harassed or physically abused or got robbed while they were there. You know, these are not always the nicest places for folks. People have these sort of lingering bad feelings that make people not want to go even during a crazy storm like the one we're having right now. Essentially, to go into one of those problems, you have to leave behind all of your worldly possessions. So when you come out of there, it's with nothing. I mean, so then what happened to her when these rainstorms ended up hitting the Bay Area? How did, how did she sort of fare? Her trailer was leaking. Her stuff did get soaked. I mean, it's a nightmare when it rains here. Um, my place is, is entirely flooded. You know, it's just muddy. There is some flooding that's happening. There's some water coming out of the storm drain. So rather than draining into the storm drain, it's coming back out, and that water is very dirty. There's refuse, rat feces. You know, it's just it's some pretty nasty stuff. Yeah, she's been dealing with all of that. The wind blew all of the tarps off of my camper, um, so now my camper's leaking like a sieve. I've got water coming in um, in all the corners. It's been freezing. Um, your fingers and toes get numb. Um, we could really use resources like those hand warmers here, more of them. Um, yeah, and tarps and larger plastic containers to, co to contain things that are waterproof would be helpful. I mean, we were just talking about Lydia, who had a, a camper van or, or a trailer, but I know you actually talked with another person at Wood Street who was actually living in a tent. The storms have no mercy on tents. <laughs> yeah, Manaz Saberi has been living at Wood Street for at least four years, and as you mentioned, she was in a tent, and she really just lost everything in the storm. My tent was blown down, blown off. And my brother has a structure that I've been staying in. But as far as that, like what I'm wearing is what I own right now. So at least she had some walls around her. 
But when I spoke to her, it was clear that these storms were really taking a toll on her. It's very hard. She's like, I can't prepare for the next day to just fight to even be here, let alone fight to be alive anymore. And on top of that, you know, she's thinking a lot about the evictions and just wondering what to prioritize. Should she fight to stay in the one community where she feels welcome and safe or fight the weather to survive the next day? This place right now is the only family I have left, the only friends I have in the world. The only people who say to me here, here's raincoat. The fact that the city's just totally just sweeping us down the gutter. I don't think it's right. And this, like, more looming existential threat is over them, um, where they know that, like, no matter what they do right now, it's not going to matter because it's all just going to get bulldozed in a few days. I mean, when you talked with Manaz and Lydia and other folks at the Woodtree encampment, like, what do they say that they actually need from the city? Folks would love tents, tarps, flashlights, batteries, raincoats, rain boots, warm weather gear, propane. And, you know, just from the city, you know, they would love for the city to come out and clear the storm drains, for instance. Manaz actually talked about this. We've been making it pretty fine out here. And for them to declare that it's inhabitable, then help us make it habitable. Help us make it safe. Help us make it so that we can survive a cold night and be there in the morning. They don't really see the benefit of moving to a like a congregate shelter when they say that the city could come out and offer them services where they are. They have a community that works. They have a support network that they've built themselves. They would love for the city to offer trash service. They've been asking for dumpsters, for instance, so that they could put their trash in a dumpster instead of having to toss it on the street. They would love to be able to tap into the utility poles and have electricity or running water at the site, bathrooms, showers. Uh, They would love for housing outreach workers to meet them where they are and place them into a permanent home, as opposed to having to go to a congregate shelter or a tough shed for what could be, you know, six months or or longer before they're able to transition to something more permanent. They're saying, just like, let us exist here until there's a better option for us. We just want to exist. You know, they just want a little bit of autonomy, uh, some respect, and for the city to come out and and meet them where they're at. Just because our home doesn't have the standardized door lock or the standardized roof doesn't mean that it's not a home for us. What do you think Manaz and Lydia's experiences, like, tell us about what it's going to take to actually provide meaningful resources to folks on the streets during storms like this? I mean, they could ask people what they need. Mm. You know, they could go out to these encampments and say, hey, what <laughs> what can we help you with today? That's probably the most effective way to address people's needs is to just ask folks what it is they need. 
Well, Aaron, as we discussed, the folks who are still at the Wood Street encampment are sort of the last group of people who are facing the threat of an eviction later this month. But just in thinking about what is ahead for those who are left, I am curious, what do we know about where the folks who've already been evicted have actually ended up? So a lot of the people who are on Caltrans land um, that were, again, evicted throughout the month of September, as of October 14th, about 95 people had accepted offers of shelter. The folks that I spoke to who had accepted offers of shelter, those were often transitional housing sites. So things that are a little bit more permanent tend to be places where people have their own room and like a a door that they can lock. The city said that 107 people they had contacted declined offers of shelter. That doesn't include folks who are now living at what is known as the Wood Street Commons, which is what's under the eviction order right now. Some people who were subject to the earlier evictions of September have moved to the commons. So, you know, it's very clear that a lot of people who were displaced from the Wood Street evictions in September have just moved elsewhere into West Oakland. And in fact, a number of the folks that I, you know, met when I first went out there are just a few blocks away from where this larger encampment was. And I mean, how soon could the rest of the folks still at Wood Street uh, or at the Wood Street Commons be evicted? Well, there's a hearing on January 18th. You know, it's unclear how soon the evictions could start, but they are eminent. The judge made it very clear that, you know, although he was giving residents a temporary reprieve, he would lift the restraining order and the evictions would continue It's not really a question of if, it's just a matter of when. Okay, so there's this storm that hasn't ended yet, and then there's looming evictions. It seems like it just doesn't stop for the folks here at Wood Street. What do you think this says about what it means to be unhoused in California right now? California has one third of the nation's homeless population, and it has half of the nation's unsheltered homeless population. That means people living in tents, cars, RVs, other places that are not meant for human habitation. And other places like New York City or Boston, they have what's called a right to shelter, which means that the city has to provide beds for pretty much everyone who needs one, in part because, you know, it's really cold and it snows and you have these prolonged freezing temperatures. California doesn't have that, at least not in the parts of the state which have the highest concentrations of unhoused people like the Bay Area or Los Angeles. But these storms highlight that the weather is increasingly a huge factor for folks living outside, that it is an emergency for people. We had four people die on one day this past December in Santa Clara County, four people experiencing homelessness. We can't pretend that people can just weather the storm quite literally in tents or aging trailers or RVs. People are not looking for an uncomfortable temporary stop on the road to permanent housing. What I am saying is that as a state, we need to seriously rethink how long and how costly it is to build new permanent housing that is affordable to folks with little to no income. 
Right. It sounds like folks can't wait any longer. It's an emergency right now. How can average folks who maybe don't work for the city or the county, how can we help folks on the streets in times like this? Again, I think the easiest thing to do is to just talk to people in your neighborhood about what they need. You know, if you see someone in your neighborhood, ask him what would be helpful. I know that folks are looking for tarps, tents, warm weather gear, rain gear, flashlights again, like anything that you think you might need if you were camping in the rain. Um, Folks probably need those same things. Well, Erin, thank you so much for your reporting and for sharing it with us. I, I always appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you for having me. That was Aaron Baldessari, a housing affordability reporter for KQED. This 35-minute conversation with Aaron was cut down and edited by Aditi Bandlamudi. Producer Maria Esquinka scored this one and added all the tape. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you next time. I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, what's up? I'm Erica Cruz Guevara, the host of The Bay. Donations keep independent journalism alive and healthy. And you support outstanding journalism when you support KQED. So if you haven't yet, check out donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcasts with an S. 